I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Turn the car around. Love to see explosions in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 25, which begins with Nux getting fast and furious on us. And it ends with everyone looking at a wall of sand. Blowing in from the Valley of the Wind to join us for this week are Richard Dunham and Chieko Dunham from the Studio Ghibli Minute. Hello. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Ah, Good to have you back. Yay. This is a more open air scenario than when you were joining us for Thunderdome. Yes. Far fewer pigs. Yes. (laughs) Yes. No periscopes this time. (laughs) No, we missed the periscopes. (laughs) No, we did. (laughs) We missed all the lenses. There's there's goggles, I think, somewhere in here, yeah. (laughs) But no periscopes. No. So what have you two been up to since we last connected with you? We finished Castle in the Sky. Yeah, we guys talked. You guys came on our show for Nausicaa mm-hmm. in the Valley of the Wind. That was great. Yeah. And then we were in the we were in the middle of the Castle in the Sky when we were... I think so. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that's done. Now we're doing two movies at once. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Because they were released at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, the next movies after Castle in the Sky released by Studio Ghibli were Grave of the Fireflies and My Neighbor Totoro. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I know exactly what you mean by two movies at once, but do you want to explain it for the people listening? Yeah, they were released as a double feature. So when they initially hit theaters, they both hit the theaters on the same day. I believe Grave of the Fireflies was the earlier show. Probably. It was like a morning and then early afternoon and then like, I think another screening like late afternoon and evening. But for theaters that were running both that bill, Grave of the Fireflies was first. Hmm. I don't know the specifics of if you had to buy tickets to both of them yeah. or, or what <laughs> uh, or if you could just uh i don't i don't just go see one i'm not exactly sure how that worked but yeah i mean we knew that grave of the fireflies was next and we were like wow that's gonna be that's gonna be rough <laughs> it's gonna be rough because i don't know if you or that your listeners are familiar with that movie but it's a very sad movie about yeah. uh Two kids who basically starved to death uh, at the end of World War II. In Japan. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of movie that if you watched it in a morning matinee, the rest of your day is going to be awful. Yeah. Yeah. No bueno. (laughs) It was... uh, I had watched it once and I was like, I'm never watching that again. And then it came up on this project. I'm like, oh, how is this going to work? So what we... And then we, we found out that it was released as a double bill. So we're like... Okay, My Neighbor Totoro is lighthearted, fun, cute. That's a very good, you know, palate cleanser. Yeah. So what we decided to do is we're doing alternate weeks. Yeah. Mm. So we'll do five minutes, you know, one full week, uh, five days worth of Grave of the Fireflies, and then we'll switch and do the same, you know, whatever, like minutes 11 through 15, Mm -hmm. for example, on 
my neighbor Totoro. So we're about half an hour through yeah. each each movie yeah. right now. All right. And how do their lengths compare? Are they about the same length? Yeah. They are about the same length, and they're both, I think, just shy of 90 minutes. They're both like 85, 86 minutes. So they're, yeah. not, they're not long, so it's working out. That might be the best way to balance it. Yeah. 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 We're, we're so far, we're getting through them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have to get through sad week, and then we could go to cute week. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a good thing you're switching every other week, because multiple weeks of just wallowing in that much misery with Grave of the Fireflies, you'd probably just never want a podcast again. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. And, and I'm not entirely sure if our listeners would want to come back for that every week or yeah. every day, even. <laughs> right. Yeah, it does seem like a bit of a tall order. Yeah. Something else that seems like a bit of a tall order is the maneuver that Nux is about to pull here at the top of minute 25. He has just avoided being run over by a giant excavator machine piloted by these hostile buzzards that we've been dealing with. And now he finds himself way the heck out in front of everybody. And with his rear lancers perched all crunched up and slit sitting on top of the car, Nux gets a pretty interesting idea. He's going to shift the car into reverse pull on the e-brake and spin 180 degrees to face the wrong way. Yeah, I had trouble following like all the, the levers that he was doing, maybe because yeah. I don't drive stick. But uh -huh. uh, what is the e-brake that you speak of? I'm pretty sure that the stick that has the thing that looks like a tiger's eye on the top of it, that's his regular shifter. And yeah. then the handle down by the base of his seat I'm pretty oh, sure that's yeah. the emergency brake. Yeah, it looks like almost looks like there's like he has like a tom tom drum, something <laughs> like the, that. Like, you know, the shifter has the like you said the tiger eye, and then like at the top at the the tip of it, and this thing has like like a leather cover or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I see that. It's so quick and hard to see, but you're right. It does look like the the top of a drum. So that's like a a parking brake or Yes. Yeah. It's pretty okay. much the same thing as automatic cars have. Okay. Because cool. manual cars don't have a parking gear. When you park, you're just in neutral. Oh. Okay. So you have to put the e brake on to lock it up so it doesn't just roll away. Okay. Which you think wouldn't be a big problem out in the middle of the wasteland desert, because how many hills are there gonna be? Right. But, right. <laughs> you don't well, need to worry about which hills. way you, you turn your wheels, yeah. your front wheels. <laughs> when you park up or down a curve. Exactly. Say, the last thing you want to do is roll out the side of the Citadel. It's going to make a huge mess. We do get another opportunity to get a look at his levers as he's starting to go backwards. Oh, yeah, we do. He takes his hand off of the lever and I'm trying to get a good... I mean, it's not fantastic. It's a little bit better than the first, our first opportunity, but it's still not fantastic. Hmm. And it does look covered in a bit of leather, like the top of a drum. Oh, you know what it looks like? It looks like he has like teeth. I don't really want to know the source yeah. of the leather. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I don't trust anything organic that I see <laughs> at all. It's like he has now that it's like like a metal top top yeah and then like a set of dentures yeah <laughs> looks like you know like the alien baby yeah it does it look looks like that a little bit like that <laughs> with like bigger teeth sitting in a spoon 
Yeah. My question is, was this maneuver really necessary? Was it really the most strategic thing he could have done? Mm. What is it? Is so? Is as Rick mentioned, is the the Lancer's perch was crumpled up. So is this the only way that Slit could get a good kind of uh, purchase or kind of stable platform to throw from? Or well, I don't think so. I think he could have gotten a stable purchase back on his platform. It might not have been as stable a purchase as it was when it was still all nice and neat and put together, but it would have been better for Slit to climb back on his platform that's now a little bit mangled than for Nux to turn the car around and drive in reverse. I think it's just a good opportunity for Nux to show off that he's yeah. like the Ginger Rogers of driving. Yes. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> to make a indirect Ann Richards quote. <laughs> Plus, as we learned back when we were in the blood bank before Max was tied to the front of this vehicle, he's technically standing on the Lancer's perch. There's two, one on each side of the vehicle. And so Nux has more thunder sticks held up here at the front. And, uh, if he's going to have a hard time pulling Thundersticks from the rear platform because it's all crunchy and jagged from getting rammed. I mean, he's already on the roof anyway. He might as well keep climbing yeah. over to the hood. It's true. I can't help but think about Occam's razor. Like the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Mm. The simplest solution to this problem is the one that should have happened. <laughs> this is not the simplest solution. <laughs> This is more complicated, I think, than it needs to be. Oh, but it's so cool, though. It is. It really is. I'm thinking now that maybe Nux wants to get in position and that his best view to do that is looking out through the, the front windshield. Yeah, if he wants to avoid the buzzards doing one of those sneaky accelerate ram you in the back of your bumper type of maneuvers, if he's looking square at the thing... Oh, yeah. He'll better see when they're coming at him. And it'll be, uh, you know, he'll be better able to put Slit into a good position to throw the Thunderstick. Plus, Slit is practically a spider monkey climbing all over that car. So <laughs> anywhere he finds himself, he's going to be effective. Yeah. But you would think that, you know, they do this enough that he would have better mirrors, you know, to <laughs> get in position. I'm kind of with, uh, with Julie on this one. <laughs> It's, it's a bit much. It's yeah. cool for the movie, that's for sure. The shot. It's yeah. all about the shot you get. <laughs> it is. It's really all about setting us up so that we get the fantastic shot of Slit raising his hand in victory and glory right behind Max mm -hmm. that we get by the end of this minute. Yeah, that's a great shot. That's the whole point of this. Yeah. Everything else that was accomplished between the turnaround and destroying the excavator I think could have been accomplished with Nux driving forward, except that fantastic shot. Yeah. I mean, we are going to see how important it is that Nux's car is turned around, though. You will admit that this specific arrangement in the crazy stuff that's about to happen just wouldn't happen the same way it if he wasn't turned around. It would not have happened the same way. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Mm. I will argue, though, that the way it goes down is an accident. <laughs> <laughs> and if somebody had just thought to do that on purpose, would have been good. Would have been done. 
Are we, are we talking about stuff that happens in this minute or the next? Yes. Yeah. It's later it's, on in this minute. Yeah, Before yeah, we yeah. get to it, let's pop over to the war rig real quick because the excavator is harassing the war boys up on the tanker using the bucket arm, as I'm calling it. And it swings around and it swats one of the war boys and sends him flying. And I couldn't help but notice that the arm doesn't seem to be moving particularly fast. And it should be something that's easily dodged. Yeah. But I will concede that if you get smacked by a backhoe, it's probably going to throw you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that guy that gets hit, it seems like he's concentrating on something else. So maybe he's, maybe he just assumed that the bucket arm was going to pull <laughs> that cab off, which it eventually does. But And so he was like concentrating on, he didn't expect it to move toward him any further. He was concentrating on aiming his thunder stick i think so does remind me of the steamroller in austin powers <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i don't know if the war boy was that aware of it i think he was just all off in his little world he's got his swirling computations around his head trying to think of oh where's the best place for me to throw this next thunder stick i'm gonna grab and try to think about my angles and then suddenly out of left field smack and then he flies right off yeah because i mean it's hard to aim like you've got all those spikes in there on on, yeah. those, on the buzzards vehicles it's i don't know how they decide where to aim it's a leap of faith you just really got to give it to the citadel's track and field program though yeah yes. <laughs> yeah sure. this is very impressive <laughs> speaking of all this throwing ace is our smart one here among the war boys and he starts calling out that they need to start throwing things at the hydraulics these are giant hydraulic arms. They're mostly steel plates, but they do have a couple of weak points, mainly the hydraulic connectors and the pistons themselves. And they're wasting all of this time throwing their thunder sticks at the main control pod, I guess, the cabin or... Yeah, the cab, yeah. Whatever you call it, of a backhoe. I, Richard, I think you hit the nail on the head there. When they should just be attacking the joints. Any mechanical thing you go up against, always attack the joints. Yeah. It's like the first rule of giant robot fighting. <laughs> oh, that's what I want to see now. I want to see like hydraulic fluid, like these, whatever the pipes or the tubing that, you know, carries hydraulic fluid. I want that to be like a plot point in the next Pacific Rim. I don't think they're going to make one, <laughs> but I would like to see that. Yeah. So back on the Nux car. We've got Slit. He's perched up there by Max, and he throws one of his thunder sticks at the front of the excavator. And it's a pretty solid hit. Like, he's hitting center of mass right down by the base of the arm. We get a lot of flame, a lot of sparks, but not too much happening. And on the one hand, Slit's a really good thrower. I feel like he should be able to hit his target. But then I also think this is essentially a boss. Like, we're in a boss level right now. Yeah. yeah. We're wrapping up Act 1 with this action scene. Technically, this action scene is like part one of two. Like you got to beat the mini boss and then the final boss is the toxic storm. But that's another week all entirely. So this thing's going to have a lot of hit points. And yeah, yeah, Slit's hitting the weak spot, but he's got to wear it down before he can take it out. Yeah, this is like Zelda. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would have loved it if he had to hit the excavator three times to kill it properly. <laughs> Although... Before they turned around to drive backwards, he did hit it one more time, so it does take three hits. 
And if there was like a reset, it was like, (laughs) oh, you got to daze it first. And then like if it, if you don't hit it in three times in a certain period, then it recovers its equilibrium and its guard is back up. It starts flashing red and that's when you know it's time for the killing blow. That's right. Where it just starts like (laughs) wavering around like very weakly, just like tumbling everywhere and all of a sudden it's back in shape. (laughs) So while Slit is attacking the excavator, it's still using its buzzsaw arm to chew away at Furiosa's window. I mentioned at the end of last week just how miserable of a situation this must be. And as we look at Furiosa dealing with it, we look down on the floor where we find Ang Herod, and she's still crouched in that little hole. And it's quick, but as I was clicking through frame by frame, Rosie Huntington Whiteley definitely catches some sparks, like, square in the face. Ooh. Yeah, she does. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. <laughs> I mean, not the face, that's the moneymaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't think that was added g- digitally, do you? Probably, yes. Probably. Yeah. You don't want to actually take your supermodel actress because that's or what any she does human a... being. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Thank Julia. You. Thank you, Julia, for correcting me. You don't want to take your actors, yeah, the talent, <laughs> and throw actual sparks at them. So either it was a stunt double or added digitally. Well, I mean, stunt yeah. doubles can take it. They're tough people. Yeah, but <laughs> I imagine that sparks are relatively easy to add digitally. Yeah, and why would you? I mean, this is a quick shot that you could just... Yeah, this is, what, three seconds? You don't really need a big shower of sparks happening in real life for that shot. Yeah. The shot specifically of Ang Herod in the hole in the ground, it's literally less than a second. Yeah. (laughs) I do appreciate that she slipped back into the hole and closed the door pretty quick and pretty smoothly. She noped out of there right quick. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. was like, okay, I I don't think I should be here. Gotta go. I would interpret this action as a smart move, which lies in direct contrast to what we're about to see with this war boy who leaps up onto the arm of the uh, excavator there. I would classify that as not a smart move. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't really understand what he's, what he's thinking. I think that every war boy is... Looking for that glorious moment that they can really shine. Oh, yeah. Ace already advised everyone to go for the hydraulics. So this war boy saw an opportunity to go for some really obvious hydraulic points. But he's not, I mean, he's, there's like a bunch of hoses. There's like three hoses, three or four hoses right there Mm -hmm. that he could just start tugging on. But instead of that, he's like handed something by somebody else. Yeah, he's basically handed the explosive charge from the end of a thunder stick, and he picks it up over his head and he tosses it down at the base of the arm, which is a good place to aim, I'm sure. But if he had some sort of, like, hook or saw or any sort of cutting implement, he could start hacking away at those hydraulic tubes. Yeah, at first I thought he had a rock and was banging on (laughs) the bits and pieces. It took a couple of views to realize that he threw a charge down further and that that charge actually did connect, broke the arm. That's why the saw went swinging. You know, I... I so you know what? He did destroy the excavator. Yeah, he did. Which, which arm are we talking about? Are we talking about the, the top s- arm or the front arm? Oh, no, that's right. There's two arms. Never mind. Never mind. 
Yeah, I just realized that he was facing the other way. I thought he had, I thought he had climbed up onto the bucket arm. Yeah, because he does climb up on the on bucket the- arm, and we do see that charge connect. Like, we have to cut back to slip before we can see the explosion, but when he throws that charge, yeah, it goes right down to the base of that bucket arm, and the explosion is sizable. Yeah. I thought he was facing towards the bucket initially. I just realized that he's facing towards, towards the, the elbow. Yeah. yeah so, Rick, you were criticizing this war boy, wondering I, what the heck he was doing, but he succeeded. He broke the bucket arm. I just don't find it a smart idea to jump on top of the thing that you're trying to make explode. Yeah. Well, war boys have a different <laughs> sense of making it home alive priority. Yes. Their definition it's of home. Not a priority. <laughs> yeah. He is ready and willing and eager to give his life to break this arm. Mm. He would prefer it if he could give his life to break this arm. So wait, he's on the bucket arm, is that right? And then but yes. aiming towards the base of the buzzsaw arm. Is that right? Nope. So bucket arm guy is throwing his charge at the base of the bucket arm because the buzzsaw arm is mounted on the front of the excavator. The shot after we see that guy throw his charge, we cut down to the front of the excavator where Slit throws his third thunderstick at the base of the buzzsaw arm. And we no longer see that guy on the bucket arm, right? We do. He gets thrown. It's yeah, like he in the flies background. off, I guess. Yeah, he's dead. Oh, Most okay, likely. yeah, there he is. He okay. actually gets thrown clear of the yeah. wreckage, but he yeah. hits the ground really hard. Yeah, and it doesn't look like he lands in soft sand. No. Yeah, he hits it pretty hard. Okay, so I'm 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 starting to follow this now. <laughs> yeah, so when we cut to slit, the explosion that we see is the what he just threw, right? Yes. Yes. And it doesn't do anything. Well, okay, so the saw arm swings away from Furiosa's door towards slit is that because the person who's controlling it wants to get rid of slit or did it lose control because of slit's explosion it lost control because of the explosion we have the explosion and then there's a tube that starts whipping around spraying out hydraulic fluid so whatever connection that was which was probably the left right control so now that there's no longer fluid pushing that arm to the right it's going to get kicked off by the spinning blades and swing around to the left, yeah. which is bad news for Max. <laughs> yes, but that's all. That's all due to Slit's thunderstick. Mm-hmm. The I think so. Bucket arm guy, his explosion again didn't do much. I think it did broke the bucket arm. Yeah, but that was it. Mm. Did it though? Well, let's see. I'm not a hundred percent confident on whether or not it did. Yeah, I think it's oh. tough to say how efficacious that attack was just because we go so quickly from buzzsaw arm is broken to everything is exploding i'm looking at as the bucket cab plus arm swings away like after the excavator itself disintegrates there may be some fires in the joints but i don't know that that's because of this guy's bucket arm guy's explosion yeah, I'm bomb. I'm not sure I see any direct evidence that Bucket Arm Guy's efforts did anything. Which I find disappointing because I don't really like Slit. So if if I could find a reason <laughs> to share his glory with somebody else, I will. But yeah. there's no evidence there's no direct evidence of that. Yeah, the explosion happens because the buzzsaw cuts through some thunder sticks on 
Nux's car and that rolls mm-hmm. under the car and explodes it and causes the bucket arm to swing away <laughs> just due to And it's still connected weight. to the cab at that yeah. point. Yeah. See, it's funny that that was the secret. They just had to attack the excavator from underneath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, I mean, Ace was smart enough to know, hey, go for the hydraulics. In hindsight, being 2020, of course, it does seem like a very simple solution to attack it from underneath. Mm. You know what's funny? That they don't have any vehicles in the fleet that we see over the course of this movie. Or, more specifically, the war rig doesn't have any deployable landmines. Just take some explosive discs or whatever... Fill a pie tin with explosives and put a thing of tinfoil on it and then just toss it off the rig into the path of your enemies. I, I know that's not how explosives are made, but something like that sounds really useful. It would be so much easier. Yeah, I was wondering what triggered the ends of the thunder sticks to go off. I think it was the impact of getting run over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because they land on the ground and they're kind of bouncing and... All they need to do to explode is have that little push pin at the front of them or at the tip or whatever direction you want to use specifically. But all they got to do is depress that point and they explode. Okay. That's why Slit was able to use one to just poke the buzzards the other day. And it does look like one is going right under the tire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So was there a chance that these two explosives hit the ground and were run over by the excavator in such a way that they weren't actually hit, Mm -hmm. that nothing would have happened. That is exactly a possible outcome. Yeah. Okay, so, wow, the fact that both of them exploded seems... Especially lucky? Yeah. Yeah, miraculous. (laughs) Despite the fact that it is so one in a million, and the fact that there's no way they could have planned this, Slit is still the one who raises his fist in victory, Acting like he was the one that did it totally on purpose. Totally. Well, he he's the one that rolled like at least an 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, if I rolled it like an 18, I would I would do the same posture. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this entire fight, Slit has been trying to find his moment of glory. Mm-hmm. And everything he has done has been overshadowed by somebody else's better act. So finally, his act was not overshadowed by somebody else. So he is taking all of the credit, and it's not undeserved. He's not stealing it from somebody else. What actually happened was an accident. I guess if you want to follow it back like a Rube Goldberg machine, technically, Slit did bust the hydraulics on the arm, and that's kind of like cutting the string and letting the ping pong ball roll down the track, and that knocks over the broomstick and the broomstick hits the iron and the iron falls on the cat and the cat runs along the kitchen knocking over the plates and then yada 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 breakfast is served right well oh my gosh it's an immaculate process (laughs) (laughs) yes he gets credit but the thing that actually did it was not of his skillful doing he didn't throw the charges under the vehicle yeah he did the thing that did the thing on accident. Oh, unintended consequence. And wow, lucky I rolled an 18. Explosions everywhere. So he gets credit, but it just wasn't his own skillful idea and shot to yeah. actually blow up the excavator. Yeah, it's not deserved credit. It's just like 
You accidentally did a thing, yay. Yeah. yeah. It's not a mistake, it's a happy accident. Yeah. <laughs> As most mistakes are, I think. Yeah. I'll tell you one crazy thing about this excavator explosion is that it is broken up into so many different shots, and each one of those shots seems to rewind time a little bit and show something that we've technically already seen. Among the five or six shots in a row of this excavator exploding, we see it lifted up off the ground a couple of times. We see it roll over to the side a few times. We see the war boy fly off the arm and through the air at least three times. Mm -hmm. They want to show you so many aspects of this explosion because there is so much happening yeah. that they just got to show it over and over and over again so everybody gets the full effect. Rick, what is that sketch at? My memory says it's an SNL sketch, but I can't quite remember specifically where they're mocking like a soap opera where someone's falling off the stairs and they just keep falling and falling and falling forever until the hero of the story is able to slide on his knees on the marble floor and catch her. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember and it where it's takes from. like 30, 45 seconds. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of exactly what you're talking about. When you mention someone falling down on stairs, there was a sketch when Melissa McCarthy was the host. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that was an entirely different thing. It didn't involve someone sliding across the floor. But I mean, it's similar. It's just you need to see every perspective. Yeah. What it reminds me of is when I want to say it's in one of the Taken movies when they want to make it look like Liam Neeson is jumping over a chain link fence and they have to use, like, 17 cuts to do it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, he's running in the alley. They cut to a close-up of his foot. They show hands on the top of a chain-link fence. They show a knee bending, him lifting himself up, wide shot of a body jumping over the top, another shot of him swinging his legs over. You know, just so complicated to hide the fact that Liam Neeson is not a young man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he has a particular set of skills <laughs> One of them is not jumping over a chain link fence at however old he is. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty good editing. I didn't notice it too much when I, at least when I first saw it, mm. that we were seeing it multiple times. I think it's cut yeah. together well enough that, yes, when you look at it, you are seeing repeated events, but it's cut in such a way that allows you to really understand exactly everything that happened. Yeah. Like in the first wide shot, when the excavator is exploding, you can see, okay, the detail from this shot is that the excavator is being lifted up off the ground. Big explosion up in the air. Then we go to the front of the excavator where it's starting to explode again, and that front buzzsaw arm digs into the ground. So now we have the detail. It's being thrown up in the air. Its forward momentum is being halted. And then as we go, we get to see how the bucket arm is ripping that enclosure off the tanker. Yep. And we're getting the whole picture just woven together for us. Yeah. Like a tapestry in a castle. Yeah. And it's quick enough to where your brain doesn't really register that it's the same thing, just mm -hmm. in a different view. But the important thing at the end of the day is that hooray, the buzzards are finally dealt with. Yay. Which is going to really change the dynamic of what's going on because there have been assumptions keeping dynamics in a certain place. And relationships in a certain place, and that is going to change now. Mm -hmm. Because now that the buzzards are gone, as Slit says, now we bring home the booty. And <laughs> I would half expect so him stupid. to fire up with an avast me hearties. 
Thar she yeah. blows. <laughs> Thar she blows. Yeah, I couldn't help thinking of uh, <laughs> Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, what's another word for pirate treasure? <laughs> well, I think it's booty. <laughs> yeah. So I think we see, yeah, we see in um, minute 27, we get a better view of Slit's stomach. But this, you know, his victory pose, I first started to notice like the designs on his stomach. Mm-hmm. Have you guys talked about that already? I don't think we really have. I thought we mentioned his open wounds that seemed to be stapled shut. Well, we talked about Oof. the wounds on his face that were stapled shut, but yeah. we didn't talk about what was on his torso at all. Ah, yeah, those other gashes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so whatever he does to his face or someone else does to his face is happening to the rest of his body. My initial thoughts were that, you know, those could be the results of operations, but it also maybe could be like a result of like just games that they play. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so now that the focus has turned from taking care of the excavator to now chasing down the war rig, Nux does another 180 degrees and we get a disgruntled growl from Max as he's flung around. And now that everybody's facing the same direction, it gives Max and Nux the opportunity to notice the giant wall of sand in front of them. Yay. <laughs> so it's going to take us a little while to get there, but we're slowly drawing close to it. And this is the first time we see it, right? Yeah. In the movie. Yes. I think we've been seeing it on the horizon, but I think this is the first time that we really start to take it in. Like, yeah. Max and Nux see it. Furiosa sees it. The people in the war fleet see it. Like, everybody's making a lot of fuss about this sandstorm ahead of them. It's a lot of reaction shots. Yeah. And that really brings us to the end of the minute. Richard and Diego, here at the end of Monday, could you share with the nice people where they can hear more of you if they want to check you out your stuff? We are at ghibliminute.com. Uh, you can go there and uh, you can access all of our... Ghibli Minute Podcast. We're also on... Podbean. Yeah, we're on iTunes. Uh, we are on Google Play. Yeah. The hell else are we on? <laughs> we're, if you like search for us, we'll most Stitcher. I believe we're on Stitcher. Yeah. Be there. Yeah. yeah. So that's J-I-B-B-L-Y? No, that is G-H-I-B-L-I Minute dot com. There you go. Spelling is hard. <laughs> As for us, be sure to come back on Wednesday. We'll have Rictus sharing his thoughts with the class. Ace is going to realize that something has gone wrong. And Nux is finally going to get his chance to attack the war rig. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 25 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.